0: UK column news there's usually a phone call early in the morning of a news broadcast day where we'll coordinate what subject matters we're going to cover and if I say to Mike Robinson oh today I'm going to be talking about events in Israel there's always a slight but still audible sigh because he knows what this means it means complaints and a lot of hassle now We do it anyway because we feel it's important. We feel it's an important part of the world and it must be understood. But the process of doing this is is unlike any other story. Uh, Very commonly, and this is an area, a political area, a geographical area that I'm particularly interested in, Uh, so I tend to cover it quite often. And I will get emails of complaint. Uh, I will get emails of complaint from people who support the Palestinian position, and they'll be calling me a Christian Zionist. And I'll be getting emails of complaint from Christian Zionists um, calling me pro-Palestinian and anti-Jewish. And I I often get them on the same day about the same report. It's a a very tricky area to operate in. My guest today, Stephen Sizer, he he managed this for more than a decade. I, I don't know how he did it. He attended conferences, he wrote books, he spoke and studied and thought and debated on this subject um, and then eventually, uh, earlier this year, he was essentially cancelled um, when he received a, a 12-year ban uh, on, on essentially being a vicar uh, from the Church of England and we saw this and we thought, well, this is a very interesting gentleman and we should have a conversation. Stephen, welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, David, for inviting me.
0: We'll start off with me. I've got lots of ground I want to cover, but we'll start off with me with the actual decision against you. So I've got to hear a, a press statement uh, from the Acting Bishop of Winchester, uh, the Right Rev- Reverend Debbie Selin. Um, and she says, basically, it refers to a tribunal, which um, a disciplinary tribunal that you attended. She says, the, di- the tribunal follows a complaint made to the Diocese of Winchester in 2018 by Mrs van der Zyl, President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. The legal process continues and the tribunal will now determine the penalty. Um, you had been found guilty, more on that in a moment. Uh, the Church of England, together with her partners in ecumenical and interfaith working, is committed to building cohesive communities and fostering strong interfaith relations built on trust and respect. Um, as Archbishop Justin Welby said in two thousand and eighteen, the joint letter with other Christian Jewish leaders, anti-Semitism has no place in our society, and those in positions of power and influence must listen to concerns about it. So, you were, um, you were found guilty of anti-Semitism. You were found guilty of conduct unbecoming your position. Um, can um, can we start off with? Uh, what it was like going through this process, this trial. Um, What was your experience? What was, um, how were you treated? What was the nature of of the actual tribunal um, hearing? Um, How was that conducted and uh, what did they find?
1: Well, the relationship I've had with uh, members of the Board of Deputies goes back uh, 15 years or more. I've lost track. Um, they made a complaint against me, I think it was 2012 initially. Um, my bishop then, Bishop Christopher Hill, in Guildford Diocese, um, decided to propose conciliation. And that meant um, Jonathan Arcush from the Board of Deputies and I had to sit down and find a way forward, which uh, indicated really that the bishop did not consider the complaint um, of serious, uh, serious weight. You don't propose conciliation unless uh, you feel that the matters can be resolved. And we came to an agreement um, through Barristers, which basically said that um, I would get friends to fact check my articles online, my posts, and they agreed uh, that they would consult me first if they had any reservations about future posts, rather than go public, because on that occasion, they went public before they'd even Uh, sent the complaint to my bishop, I told him it was coming because it was already online. So the intention then was clearly to embarrass the Church of England and intimidate the church into silencing me for my legitimate uh, uh, concerns about human rights abuses in Palestine and uh, and my commitment to uh, refute racism of all kinds, including anti-Semitism. So that was resolved. And um, although they didn't comply with the agreement, they continued to uh, make complaints against me about visits to Iran, for example. Uh, they said, we're going to bring another complaint unless Dr. Sizer agrees not to go back to Iran. Uh, my archdeacon agreed with me that that was uh, unacceptable for uh, leaders of another faith community to dictate where, uh, where a Christian minister could, could not go. Um, I moved diocese, uh, and, um, oh, that was right. 2015 for three days, I posted on Facebook, an article, uh, Israel did it about 9 11. Uh, there were elements in the article that deeply concerned me. And I thought Facebook was the appropriate place for discussion. Um, it was about, uh, uh American, uh, individuals who had benefited from 9 11. Uh, through the insurance policies, through various other things. And that concerned me. Uh, and um, uh, I was asked to take down that article. I took it down after three days um, and agreed with my bishop then, uh, Andrew Watson, to take uh, a six month break from using social media. And um, and I complied with that. Um, then I decided to take early retirement. Uh, friends uh, encouraged me to found a new charity, Peacemaker Trust, uh, in 2017. So I took early retirement from the Church of England, uh, moved to Southampton from Guildford uh, Diocese from Virginia Water, so I was in a new diocese. And for the first year I was here, I carried on campaigning for human rights in Palestine uh, and other parts of the world, and continued to serve in the church as a retired priest, helping out with uh, services in small parishes around the diocese. Um, and then the board of deputies having changed leadership and I changed my diocese and they were still unhappy with me, made another complaint. They went back over the same period of history. They relied on secondary source material, prejudicial newspaper articles and anonymous sources, 12 instances. They accused me of anti-Semitism. presented it to my new Bishop, uh, Bishop Tim Dakin. He decided, uh, having taken advice that it needed to go to a tribunal, so a tribunal, a panel of uh, clergy and laity within the Church of England, led by a barrister, would uh, make a ruling, a decision on, um, on whether there was uh, any valid concerns in the complaint or not. It took four years before that complaint finally reached a, a tribunal. At the tribunal, which was held in May last year, uh, the Board of Deputies had not Provide a single sentence of mine that was uh, clearly evidence of anti Semitism. They didn't provide a single witness uh, corroborating their allegations that I had offended the Jewish community or had committed anti Semitism. So they looked at those 12 instances and they ruled the 11 out. 11 of the 12 they said were not anti Semitic. I may have upset people, but you're allowed to, freedom of speech and all that. The one that they criticized me for was precisely the one that had been dealt with three years earlier, or two years earlier in 2015, um, by my bishop, and which the Board of Deputies had agreed had been dealt with swiftly and appropriately. So this is a case of double jeopardy. Uh, so uh, the new the, the tribunal said that I had engaged in anti-Semitic uh, activity on that one occasion, three days when I had one article posted on my Facebook One of my witnesses, Hélène Pape, denied that it was anti-Semitic, but I'm not going to go into that. The other three issues they they criticized me for, they deemed conduct unbecoming. Uh, One was, uh, they claimed, I was not sufficiently contrite in an interview on Australian Broadcasting, which went out in the UK at midnight, was only accessible by uh, subscription. So to be honest, how many people in Britain were listening to Australian broadcasting news at midnight and had a paid subscription to ABC? I I doubt if there was anyone. That was one of the three, and it was very subjective. Uh, Insufficient contrition, what on earth is that? Um, The second one was I published an article on my website, it's still there, uh, uh, which looked at 9-11, uh, it was called the mother of all coincidences. And it was written by um, uh, a well-known and respected journalist. And uh, his conclusion was that Israel was not behind it. And I would agreed with it, but I was that was considered inappropriate. And the, the third uh, example uh, that they criticized me for was actually something that the Board of Deputies hadn't uh, raised. And that was that I wore a clerical collar at a meeting in Southern Lebanon when I was invited to meet one of the leaders of Hezbollah. And at that meeting, he'd asked me, what did I advise Hezbollah? And immediately I said, release the Israeli captives. You worship compassionate, merciful God. Show compassion and mercy to these soldiers. Don't trade them like animals. Beat the Israelis morally as well as militarily. Um, but the tribunal felt that I should not have won a clerical collar at such a meeting. They clearly hadn't consulted anyone in the Middle East, because uh, my bishop at the time in the Middle East, Bishop Ria Abu al-Assal, Bishop of Jerusalem, uh, wrote them a letter basically rebuking them for their conclusions and insisting that he expected all clergy to wear a clerical collar at all times, especially in the middle of a war zone like southern Lebanon, and he considered it would be conduct unbecoming not to wear a collar. So that clearly contradicted one of the findings of the tribunal. The tribunal was uh, in May last year. It took them six months before they published their decision in December. Six months between the tribunal and uh, publishing their decision. And then it took them another month before they issued the penalty, which my barrister and many others regarded as completely disproportionate and uh, and excessive. Uh, A local bishop, said that uh, he had uh, disciplined clergy for far worse things and given them a much shorter uh, suspension. My barrister, for example, anticipated it would be a year and I'd already served four. Uh, So it was in a sense a lifetime ban. So um, yeah, four years of uh, stress and heartache and frustration. um, The process is expected to be neutral, and uh, clergy who are uh, being disciplined or being investigated are expected to receive pastoral support. For four years, I received no pastoral support by the diocese whatsoever. Um, Subsequent, after the penalty, uh, my bishop has offered to meet with me and offer pastoral support, and I haven't yet responded. I felt uh, I've survived four years without it. So in a sense, I'm free now to continue to advocate for justice and human rights in Palestine. I'm totally opposed to anti-Semitism and all forms of racism, but we can uh, in our conversation, we can explore what we mean by anti-Semitism, uh, which puts a new light or another perspective on what's happened to me.:
0: Yes, well, free at last. Um, I, I was going down the list of um, the list of charges um, which was. Slightly odd because they would lettered them in the main report, but in the appendix, in the actual charge list, they're not lettered and they're in a different order. Um, so I was I was piecing this all together what you'd actually been um, convicted on, or, or 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 and what was found not proven. Some of the stuff that was found not proven is um, you had sort of had some association with some authors that I've read um, that I'd actually think are well worth reading. So you're thinking, well, this is this is this is strange because it's almost like, well, here's someone we don't like. And if you have any communication, association, and dialogue with this person at all, then you become guilty by association. And this is a, 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 a pernicious philosophy. Um, now, I then got to the much shorter um, decision on sanction. So I think, I think our viewers would be interested in hearing a little quote from this. It reads, after careful consideration, well, six months, fair enough. After careful consideration, it has concluded that there is a possibility that the respondent, with the appropriate pastoral training and other necessary support, may be able to resume public ministry in the future after a long period of reflection over his past actions the tribunal has considered that it is appropriate that the respondent should be subject to a prohibition from exercising any of his functions of his any of the functions of his holy orders for a period of 12 years from the date on which the bishop of winchester withdrew permission to officiate on 14th december 2018 so you've got you you're banned until 2030 i found that um, somewhat Chinese Communist Party in its in its style you know if you know you're not you're not completely gone to the to the dark side with 12 years of um of reflection and work um and and training and and pastoral guidance you might be savable right this is very Maoist in its in its nature uh, how did you feel when you when you saw that?
1: Well, I think all of the people present at the tribunal uh, penalty hearing, my barrister, my legal team, friends, uh, advocates, I had bishops supporting me, rabbis, academics, they were all shocked at the at the penalty imposed. Uh, I'll be 79 uh, at the end of the suspension period. And do they honestly think that I will be uh, raring to go at 79? To be uh, given permission to take services uh, as a retired priest, I think in a sense this was as close as they could get to a lifetime ban. Uh, I mean, and another uh, whole aspect I'd love to talk about would be the the, the use of the expert witnesses. Uh, the the the, the, um, the tribunal. Um, uh, there were some very embarrassing points in the tribunal for the prosecution, but to cut a long story short, Anthony Lerman is probably one of the, le- the leading uh, experts on anti-Semitism uh, worldwide. Uh, and uh, he was my our expert witness. In fact, the only expert witness at the tribunal. The Church of England and Board of Deputies have uh, proposed uh, Bishop Michael Ipgrave as the other expert witness. Under cross-examination he admitted he wasn't an expert witness. And, uh, and all of the sources he used were inadmissible because they were Anglican in sources. Two of them predated and post the complaint, so it was a complete shambles. But this is what Anthony Lerman had to say afterwards. He said, quote, this disgraceful miscarriage of justice against someone who has never uttered a word of hate against Jews will be a permanent stain on the Church of England and the Board of Deputies. Well, that's, that's shocking language, I think, Um, embarrassing language for the Church of England and for the Board of Deputies, but it's factually correct. Uh, They couldn't find a single word of mine in hundreds of sermons, talks that are all online. Uh, They couldn't find a single word, a single sentence of mine to, to, to corroborate the allegations they made. Basically, the strategy they've used is one that I've experienced and many, many others have as well. Um, It's if you cannot argue or disagree with uh, people's opinions, their their arguments, then you discredit them as individuals, and you do that by intimidating them. And if that doesn't work, you intimidate others to isolate them. So it's guilt by association. And if that doesn't work, then you try and incriminate them so that you will isolate them by intimidating others. So it's intimidate. uh, intimidate, isolate and incriminate. And that's the strategy they've used. And uh, at one level they've succeeded. But for me personally and many others, it just demonstrates the uh, poverty of their arguments, the weaknesses of their arguments and how desperate they are to shut down debate on what's happening in Palestine today. And ironically, accuse an anti-racist of racism.
0: That quote uh, that uh... And you repeated there that was actually picked up in, a, in an article by um, the Jewish Voice in Labour, the the Jewish pressure group within the Labour Party, who obviously um, support you very strongly. Um, it, uh, what um, what have you found in terms of broader support since this has happened? Have you uh, we've seen what the um, what the church officials have done? Um, but what about? Uh, the, the, the wider community of ideas, if, if you want to express it in that way, um, that uh, the people who you've interacted with over your career on this subject, how have they reacted? Have you had support?
1: Yes. At the Through the tribunal process, I had 40 witnesses, all willing to speak on my behalf, including archbishops, bishops, uh, clergy, rabbis, academics, uh, Jewish, Muslim and Christian leaders and, uh, and politicians. Um, and if you go to my website, stephensizer.com, and on the top menu bar, look at friends, you'll have access to all 40 of their witness statements. In fact, you'll find many, many more there and quotes from uh, people like uh, Robert Cohen, uh, a, a Jewish uh, uh, writer, um, uh, Bishop uh, Ria Abol Probably the strongest one comes from another Jewish friend, Jeff Halper. Uh, Jeff Halper uh, founded the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions. I'm active in their work. He said this quote, as an Israeli Jew, ahead head of the Israeli human rights organization, ICAD, I am appalled at the very thought of bringing anyone, let alone a principal person as Stephen Sizer, before a religious tribunal. What? Are we back in the medieval days of the inquisition? I can't speak for the Church of England, but Jews, the board of deputies participating in a religious tribunal, their very thought is appalling. What has happened to us, Jews and Christians together? Are we we willing to return to the dark processes of tribunals which have no legal underpinnings, no genuine evidence or testimony conducted solely against people whose views we don't like? It's besmirch and destroy people's lives just to prevent criticism of Israel. Uh, You know, he wrote that in May and the findings of the tribunal really uh, bore out the truth of what he said. He said, the charges against Dr. Sizer are untrue and trumped up and you all know it. Anti-Semitism, how do you possibly defend yourself against such a charge? Um, Let me say this plainly, he said. I've known Dr. Sizer for 20 years. I respect his moral position on Israel. I certainly respect his academic work on Christian Zionism, one of the most insidious and anti-Semitic religious doctrines in modern history, profoundly anti-Israel. I respect Dr. Sizer's willingness to go beyond the comforts of parish life to engage critically in an issue of central concern to us all, how to prevent Israel from becoming the next apartheid South Africa." Um, in fact, he was urging me to disassociate myself from the tribunal and what he called an inquisition completely. Um, and he ended by saying, um, especially the Jews for God's sake in solidarity. Um, that was deeply, deeply moving. And in fact, it's been, uh, viewed over 100,000 times online, that statement. So there's a lot of support out there. A lot of people who recognize, uh, that, um, what's going on is about Canceling uh, or, or denying freedom, freedom of speech, and human rights.
0: We should maybe move on next to what is anti-Semitism. Right now, this is this this is also a controversial area. Um, we've reported on the UK column um, on the IHRA I I working definition of anti-Semitism, which um, which. Our view, certainly my personal view, is somewhat of a reprehensible document, in that it stretches out this definition to cover almost anyone, however, however well disposed you might be, um, to Jewish people individually or Jewish people collectively. Um, the joke, of course, is that anti-Semitism used to mean, and anti-Semite used to be. Someone who didn't like Jews and is now someone the Jews don't like. Right. So this is getting at the issue. It's it's a it's a slur word. It's a term that's used to deplatform and isolate people and prevent them speaking out, prevent them being listened to, and prevent engagement in ideas and discussion. Now, um, we'll not. I'll not go into the, the the weeds of this just now. But this this international. Um, uh, working definition of anti-Semitism was appended to your trial. It was an appendix B. So this is obviously the standard that, that was being used to judge you. It's a standard that the the British government has adopted. Uh, and as I say, I think it's a, somewhat of a reprehensible document. But what's your view of this definition?
1: Oh goodness. Um, well, let me take you through what happened to me in my my tribunal. When the complaint was made in 2018, the Board of Deputies accused me of anti Semitism, but they did not define anti Semitism in their complaint. We did. In my response, I used uh, the leading definitions of anti Semitism, which I think we would all agree with. It's a form of racism, prejudice, hostility, uh, enmity, hatred toward Jews because they are Jews. It's no different from hatred, enmity, hostility toward gypsies because they're gypsies or blacks because they're blacks or Muslims because they're Muslims. Um, so there was no definition. We included a definition. The complaint was actually lodged with the bishop uh, about a week before or a week after the uh, Church of England adopted, the House of Bishops adopted the IHRI definition. Uh, it seems to have been adopted by the Archbishop of Canterbury after a cup of tea with the B- uh, chief rabbi. And uh, there was no consultation at General Synod. And um, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that they took legal advice. Uh, and um, so when when the tribunal began the process, we insisted that we needed an expert witness present who would define anti-Semitism. Uh, we couldn't, we were told to agree with the Board of Deputies on a shared uh, expert, um, we couldn't find one. I proposed Kenneth Stern, who wrote the working definition used by the IHRA. The very, and, and they accepted him, and uh, we were pleased about this because he opposes its use as a definitive statement. It's a working definition, it's a work in progress, it's unfinished. That was how he understood it. Um, at the very last minute, the Board of Deputies panicked and rejected Kenneth Stern. So the tribunal insisted we would have one each. And as I said, they chose Bishop Michael Ipgrave and we chose uh, Tony Lerman. Uh, and um, they were both given instructions to define anti Semitism between the first instance complained of and the last instance. So something like 2005 and 2015. Or 2000, yeah. 15, 16, 17, um, they were told explicitly not to, to use Anglican sources. Bishop Michael Ipgrave used three sources, all Anglican. The first predated the complaint, the third post-dated the complaint. And when under cross-examination, his case arguing that the IHA definition should be used retrospectively over the whole period, uh, when under cross-examination, his case collapsed, and he admitted he wasn't an expert and therefore shouldn't have been there, Uh, the barrister in charge, the chair, turned to my barrister and said, well, will you please define anti-Semitism for us? And we thought the case had collapsed at that point. So uh, Tony Lerman said, well, if you'd asked me to do that, I would have written you a paper. And it was almost like on the back of a cigarette packet they came up with a definition which, lo and behold, was what we had proposed in uh, the initial response to the complaint. The IHRA is an utterly discredited document because it falls at the first hurdle of a definition. It is indefinite. And by definition, you cannot have an indefinite definition. And in the first sentence, it says anti Semitism may include. And that word may means that it's indefinite and you need something else to determine whether it is or is not anti Semitic. Um, is an attitude toward Israel that may involve anti-Semitism. So it's not a definition, it's been utterly discredited by numerous uh, King's Council, barristers. The Church of England uh, should not have adopted it, no one should adopt it as as an understanding of what anti-Semitism is, it's a guide, it uh, offers insights, but it is not a definition. And it's ironic that having uh, acknowledged uh, that it was inadmissible, as you observed when the penalty was finally published the uh, the entire uh, working definition was included as an appendices. and i i can only surmise that was because it's left the church of england in, a, in an embarrassing position of seeking to use it against me having adopted it without consultation they're kind of stuck with it because uh, it it would be um, a bombshell to uh, to to reject it there are far better uh, def- definitions of anti-Semitism out there. The Jerusalem Declaration, for example, uh, was put together by over 400 academics, and it's a much more rigorous uh, definition than the IHRA. So my hope is that uh, as people look at the IHRA, they'll recognize it's not a definition, and it cannot and should not be used in a, in a, a legal setting uh, because its intent is clear. It's weaponized, uh, 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 it's a form of weapon to silence criticism of Israel. Full
0: stop. My trips to Israel often taken to uh, often coincide with uh, Tabernacles. One of the reasons I go is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a Jewish festival, but also um, uh, it's also um, uh, it, it encoded in a lot of Christian belief. And there is at the same time uh, quite a sizable uh, group of Christians come. To spend Tabernacles in Jerusalem, and it's it's something like the International Christian Zionist Embassy, or words like that, right? So it's a it's a Christian Zionist organization. So a lot of these people are come; they're coming over. They're very sincere. They're coming with the best of intents. I don't wish to denigrate any of them personally, but there's then a march. And it's the strangest thing. There's a, there's a there's a march through Jerusalem every year. Um, it's part of the uh, Sukkot tabernacles celebrations, um, and it's and it's principally by the Christian Zionist embassy um, to uh, well announce the presence, I guess. And it's divided. There, there are some contributions to the march with. Uh, uh, with Israeli organisations like uh, El Al the airline will have a group of people marching and there'll be maybe the, 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 the police or some other sort of public bodies will, will march but most of the most of the people are divided country by country carrying the national flags and they walk through Jerusalem and um, they'll say to the Jews who are watching the march you know, we love you, we're here to support you, we love you. And there's all these Jewish people looking, frankly, quite perplexed about what's actually happening. Who are these people? Why are they here? Why do they love us? Um, You know, it's a very, it's a very strange sight because you've got, you've got the marchers In a population, and the two clearly do not understand the world in the same way, and the 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 difference in in world view is palpable as you watch this uh, watch this march taking place. Um, you've written a lot and written very critically about Christian Zionism. Um, Christian Zionism is a is is a is a strange beast because you mentioned I think you mentioned earlier on it's, it's an anti Semitic. Um, ideology, and I and I, I guess the reason you're saying that is the basic viewpoint is it's building up the state of Israel in order to hasten the arrival of Jesus Christ as though he needs help, um, and at the end times the, 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 there's going to be huge per- persecution of and death amongst those same Jewish people. So it's not not necessarily um, in the interests of the people that they're proclaiming love from for, uh, love for. Um, so there's this odd we. It's almost like a, a philosophy that's using another philosophy to achieve its goals, without actually caring about the outcome for those other people. Um, so there's something that that's never sat. Comfortably with me about it as a as a worldview. Now you've you've written extensively about this. Um, are, are any of my views that I've outlined there wrong? Um, would you like to take issue with any of them? And could you maybe expand on on how you understand uh, what what uh, Christian Zionism is and um, the effect it's having on the current political situation in Israel?
1: Christian Zionism is an oxymoron. It's uh, putting two words together that uh, should not be put together. It's like justifying Christian nationalism, Christian colonialism, Christian apartheid, because that's what Zionism is. What many people don't appreciate is that Christian Zionism preceded Jewish Zionism by at least 50 years. Um, And today, Christian Zionism outnumbers Jewish Zionism by at least 10 to one. 10 to one. So Zionism today, historically and numerically is primarily a Christian viewpoint, a Christian political position, not a Jewish one. And uh, Jewish Zionists depend heavily on Christian Zionists, particularly in the States to uh, to pressure, lobby, ensure that US uh, uh, foreign affairs, uh, international policy, uh, coincides with Israelis, uh, uh, Israel's Zionist agenda. Um, the, you referred to, it's called the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, ICEJ. They were founded in 1980 by a group of what I would regard as, as nationalists from South Africa and uh, States and, and Britain who believed that it was the responsibility of the church uh, to um, show solidarity with the Zionist movement at a time when the international community was vacating Jerusalem uh, because of the Six Day War and the annexation of Jerusalem by West, East Jerusalem by the Israelis. The international community moved its embassies to Tel Aviv, regards Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel. There are no embassies in Jerusalem. The American embassy is on the move and the Zionist uh, government of Israel is attempting to pressure other countries to move their embassies to Jerusalem. Uh, but the International Christian Embassy was founded to show Christian solidarity with Zionism. The problem with Zionism is that it is a form of nationalism, supremacism, and uh, it it is a form of settler colonialism. We find uh, basically wiped out the Native Americans in North America and attempted to impose colonial rule on so many countries around the world, but most notably, most recently, apartheid South Africa. The parallels between Israel and South Africa are so obvious. We have segregation, we have uh, separate roads, separate schools, separate hospitals, um, settlements, towns, and the occupied territories that Palestinians cannot live in, that are exclusively for uh, Jewish settlers cities within Israel where it's difficult, if not impossible for Palestinian Israelis to live. So there is segregation, there is um, military occupation and colonialism in the occupied territories. And this is defended and justified by Christian Zionists. They have substituted Israel for Jesus, basically. Israel is central to their theology and um, they attempt to justify, the uh, exclusive claim to the land, from the river of Egypt, to the Nile perhaps, to the Euphrates, as the land God gave to the Jewish people exclusively. Jerusalem is their eternal undivided city, their capital, and, um, and they have a divine right to everything uh, within that, uh, with that piece of real estate. Um, yes, as you said, there is an element within Christian Zionism that holds to an apocalyptic view of the future. And one Jewish academic, Gershon Gorenborg, in his book, End of Days, says the problem for us Jews is that we are act three in a four act play, meaning we don't get to, uh, to make it to the end because, because of this coming war of Armageddon. That, es- that uh, apocalyptic view is held by a significant proportion of Christian Zionists, but many, many don't. Uh, my concern uh, in, in saying that, is, that Christian Zionism is essentially anti-Semitic is in, in the sense that it is stoking animosity with other faith communities, with Muslims, uh, with the indigenous Christian Palestinians, and it's, it's not a peaceful um, approach to reconciliation. It is an exclusive claim to the land. Uh, the best thing that the Palestinians can do is leave uh, and, and, and or submit under uh, a Zionist control. So it is fueling the tension in the Middle East. And uh, if you know, if I genuinely care for my Jewish friends, the last place I'd want to, to send them uh, is, is Palestine, certainly uh, not uh, to steal other people's land, demolish their homes and deprive Palestinians of their human rights. That is not the way forward. Uh, And that's why uh, I oppose Christian Zionism very strongly. Uh, You may know I wrote two books, uh, uh, Christian Zionism Roadmap to Armageddon looks at the history, the theology, and politics of Christian Zionism. And then my second book, Zion's Christian Soldiers, looks more at the deconstructing of Christian Zionism. And you can find uh, everything in the books on my website, stephensizer.com. You can download it for free. Um, And I love discussing the the theology in more detail to deconstruct it uh, and and show that it is a vacuous, uh, destructive theology, it has no basis in Scripture whatsoever. I liken it to a hot air balloon. Um, How many pins do you need to burst a balloon? Well, I'll give you seven at least, any one will do. Uh, We can explore some of the theology if you want to later. Thank you.
0: I would like to do that, I have a a number of things where our views don't entirely coincide um, but maybe in a maybe in a subsequent interview we could actually we could actually dive into that um, the uh, what I'd like to cover now is you' know, moving on from the nature of the problem you, you you said you you made you said several things that that I, that I would take some issue with um, and these are common um, Criticisms of the state of Israel, which I, I'm not convinced are are correct. Uh, one is colonial. Now, colonialism is a relationship between a mother state and a, a and a daughter state. You exactly where's mummy in this one, and this is a point that that Gilan makes. It's not quite colonial, um, and um, also not quite apartheid, because the apartheid regime was one of. Um, was one of economic exploitation and separation, for sure. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening. My perception of, of what is really desired by Zionism, as it's currently constituted, for the Arab population is for them to go somewhere else. It's, 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 they, want to, they don't want to exploit them. They want them just to disappear, go away. Um, so it's more akin to um, it, it, what, what, what's termed ethnic cleansing it's wanting the land and it's not wanting any pesky minorities or other populations in there um, but that that brings us to the nature of the problem the nature of the conflict the um, ingrained nature of the conflict um for a for a long time, as I've as I've travelled in and out of Jerusalem and, and, and spoken to people over there, uh, I've watched opinions harden. I've watched um, people who were very moderate in their views become much more strident, much more hard-line and through the cycles of, of, of violence into wars. It, it just seems to make the situation steadily worse. Um, and of course one of the aspects of this that's been happening all the time is the is the slow erosion of any possibility of a two-state solution whether that was ever really on is maybe open to some question but I I don't think it's viable now I don't think it's been viable for some time and you have two populations who are who are very separate they have their own divisions within each population but there's a, a there is not a great deal of exchange of views there's not a great deal of love and appreciation for one another between those communities they live separate lives to quite a large extent and they're becoming ever more separate one of the things that struck me is there's, there's a lot of controversy going on political controversy going on in Israel right now we'll come to that in a moment And 20% of the voters in Israel are Palestinian Arabs. And they are not involved in this controversy at all because there's two sides to the controversy. And neither side want associated with the Palestinians, one on ideological grounds, one on political grounds, because to be associated with the Palestinians would so harm their standing with the Jewish population that it would damage their position. So the Palestinians, 20% of the Israeli voters, are kind of missing. They're left out of the entire debate about what sort of country they should be in. Um, So I look at this and think, well, a two-state solution isn't going to work. It has to be some sort of one-state solution. But this is not the way to achieve it. This this, um, Whoever gets control of Leviathan will simply oppress the other. And therefore, we must fight for control of Leviathan. Civil war, potential um, conflict, is not the way to achieve it. Um, what needs to be brought in is love, understanding, love my neighbour, and some basic fundamentals for building a for building a a, a nation like property rights, for example, um, to build some form of single Palestine, Israel-Palestine, call it what you will, that um, can be home to all of the people living there. Now, I don't know how that it could be achieved from where we start. I, I have no particular uh, insight into how to overcome the huge problems. But what I'd ask you to comment on is, do you agree that it's if there's going to be a solution, it's one state, not two? And do, if you do, is there any? Um, is there any? Are there any voices currently speaking out about how that might work? How that might be brought about?
1: Yes, I, one democratic state is the only way forward. Uh, there's no, no. Uh, there never was really uh, any possibility of uh, two states living side by side because the conflict, if we call it a conflict, was never uh, one between two equal parties. Um, I think it, the way forward must involve looking back and seeing where we've come from and addressing the injustices of the past uh, to make sense of the present and have any hope for the future. Um, I, I do believe uh, we are dealing with a settler colonial enterprise, certainly in the uh <clears throat> Uh, Before the founding of the State of Israel in 1948, uh, it was definitely a European settler colonial enterprise uh, sponsored by European powers, Britain through the Balfour Declaration, France, the States, both by Philo-Semites and anti-Semites. The Philo-Semites believed that uh, having uh, a Jewish presence in the Middle East would further their own colonial aspirations. Britain and France went to war partly in the uh, late 18th, early 19th century over Palestine, Napoleon 1799 was the first world ruler to promise the Jews a homeland uh, because he wanted their help to defeat the British. In 1917, 19, uh, 19, uh, the Balfour Declaration was published by the British government to preempt a German declaration promising the Jews a homeland uh, because we wanted the uh, Zionists to support our uh, fight against the Germans. The problem was we'd already agreed with the French in 1915 and the secret Sykes-Picot agreement. We were gonna split Palestine between our two empires. So it was very much a colonial uh, enterprise as Britain, France and other countries were expanding their colonies around the world. What it has become is an apartheid state. Uh, It is about exploitation and not just about ethnic cleansing. Certainly Human Rights Watch, Betzalem, the Israeli Human Rights Organization, Amnesty International, War on One, have all declared we're dealing with apartheid, as have uh, significant numbers of leading South African uh, clergy and politicians. Um, Israel is exploiting uh, the Palestinian uh, population through cheap labor. Palestinians living in the occupied territories as long as they're married, over 30 can uh, can apply for work in Israel. They do the cheap labor work on the construction sites. They have to get up about four in the morning, get through the checkpoints at six. They work all day as day laborers and they're out before nightfall. Uh, Israel is exploiting the water under the West Bank, the aquifer. Uh, it's uh, stealing the land, obviously, and it's dumping its pollution and its waste in the West Bank. So it's very definitely exploitation as well as um, in the more extreme uh, elements within the government today, we're dealing with ethnic cleansing. Um, But yes, one democratic state is the way forward and anyone can do a quick Google search on ODS, the one democratic state to find who's behind it. Jeff Halper is one leading campaigner. Uh, Haim Brashith, uh, our friends within the Jewish uh, Network for Palestine Uh, Convivencia.uk is another organization that brings Jews, Christians, and Muslims together campaigning for one democratic state. Um, It is the way forward, but uh, it does require a change, uh, particularly within within, uh, Zionist uh, uh, um, uh, perspectives and that will only occur when there is sufficient pressure from the international community through boycotts, divestments, and sanctions. I liken the issue to um, a child visiting the grandparents and the grandparents um, spoil the grandchild and say, have a sweet, dear. And you give them the cookie jar and uh, they stick their hand in the jar and they can't get their hand out because they've got hold of three sweets and they've got three sweets in their hand and they can't have all three. They can only have two. If they let go of one of them, they can get their hand out and enjoy two. What are the sweets? Israel wants to be a democracy, Israel wants to be a Jewish state, and Israel wants all the land, the West Bank, Gaza, Golan. It can have two, but not three. If Israel gave up the West Bank, that's the two-state solution, Israel, Israel and Palestine, settlers in Palestine can go back and live in Israel or live under Palestinian control. And as, as you referred to uh, Israeli Palestinians, they can live as a minority within a Jewish democracy. That's the two-state solution. But will Israel give up the occupied territories? No. What is the alternative? The alternative is to give up being a Jewish state. That's the one-state solution. All the land, equal rights, Jews and Palestinians. But Israel is Israel gonna give up being a Jewish state? It's not gonna do that, yet. What's the alternative? It's for the international community to say Israel is not a democracy. It holds the West Bank through brutal military occupation, home demolitions, using live ammunition against civilian population, um, curfews, uh, annexation. Uh, it's it's it got all the land, it's a Jewish state, but it's not a democracy. And so our role in the wider community is to use boycotts, divestment sanctions, non-violent peaceful ways of pressuring Israel to recognize that if it wants to be a democracy, it must share equal rights uh, with Palestinians. The American Civil War was fought over precisely the same issue. Was America gonna be two states or one? Slavery in the South, freedom in the North. It took a war to bring about a change. Um, Other parts of the world have seen that change much more peaceful a peaceful transition as we've seen in South Africa with the end of apartheid. And that's that was largely because of the impact of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions. So I believe that one democratic state goes hand in hand with BDS. It's the only way forward if we are to avoid another Holocaust, another Shoah or another world war.
0: As a quick aside, I think if you look at some of the things that Lincoln was saying before the outbreak of the American Civil War, it was about Tax initially and and control and power. It became about slavery later on for other reasons. But the um, the, the the contradiction between, we're going to have a state that is Jewish and democratic. It's never made any sense to me because a democratic state is whatever the the demos wants. It's whatever the people choose. So you can't then say, you know, you can't then say, well, it has to be Jewish because the people might not choose that. So it it was always a contradiction. And obviously there's, and Gilad Atzman has written extensively about this, there's a big contradiction about what Jewish even means. Because is it referring to an ethnicity? Is it referring to a religion? Is it referring to a cultural identity? Or is it referring to one of those three, whichever one you're you're not looking at, you know, because people will claim to be uh, to be Jewish, but to be atheist. So it it can't be a religious basis. Um, people will claim to be Jewish when they're or emigrated in from say Ethiopia, and there's clearly the clearly not, there's a clear uh, ethnic divide, uh, but they're Jewish. So it's a very difficult concept to pin down. Um, and then you're saying it must be, also be democratic. It's a very, it's a, it's a strange basis for a country, actually, a very ill-defined basis for a country. Um, that brings us to the current events in, in Israel. Um, we're seeing, I think, serious, I think serious discussion about the possibility of a civil war Within Israel, within Jewish Israel, we've got a split between um, a populist, generally characterised as right wing, but certainly nationalist, um, uh, viewpoint that that feels that feels that the left wing has uh, got into institutions within Israel, particularly the courts, and is subverting the will of the people. It's not being sufficiently Jewish or sufficiently democratic. And it wants to be more of both. You've got, on the other side, um, the, the Jews who believe that the, the nature of the democratic state is, is dependent upon checks and balances to prevent the excesses inherent in democracy from taking over, uh, to maintain the rule of law, to maintain um, rights and uh that the attack on the judiciary, the power of the judiciary by parliament is an attack on the very foundations of the state. So you have here all the all the essential elements for a genuine civil war because you have a conflict over who controls Leviathan, who controls the state. As I mentioned earlier, the absence of the 20% of of voters for this parliament who are Palestinian Arabs from any part of the discussion, any part of the protest is very stark, and I think that says something about the direction of travel in 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 the Israeli Jewish community. Um, they're not looking to include the Palestinians. They're not. It's it's they're, they're just not part of the discussion. Um, you have well-armed and militarily trained people on both sides of this argument as well. So a civil war, although it maybe seems a far-fetched just now, I'm not convinced it's actually out of the question. And you're seeing huge numbers of people on the streets and the start of some pretty low-grade, admittedly at the moment, violence, but some violence nonetheless. And you're dealing with such deeply held beliefs. You're dealing with beliefs that will propel people to violence be the religious beliefs, be the philosophical beliefs, but they're very deeply rooted. They're, they're, you're talking about people's worldview. So how do you see things moving in Israel just now? Do you think it's coming to a critical point? Uh, do you have any view as to which direction the society is going in? Which, which side is going to get the upper hand? Um, and um, yeah, so generally, could you comment on on the current uh, Knesset Parliament versus uh, uh, judiciary uh, conflict?
1: Well, we've seen a uh, a move, a direction, a trajectory, if you like, within Israeli society, which has moved further and further and further to the right. Hence, the present Israeli government coalition is made up of far right and racist uh, organisations. Um, you go back 15, 20 years ago and Orthodox rabbis were, um, forbidding Jews to enter the Haram al-Sharif, the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, Uh, a radical shift occurred just a few years ago. I mean, um, Ariel Sharon kicked it off, uh, uh, with a number of high profile uh, visits by leading politicians to the Dome of the Rock to assert uh, Israeli sovereignty over uh, the Temple Mount, um, to the point where the Jewish rabbis from the settlements are actively encouraging their members to visit uh, the Temple Mount, and uh, we anticipate at some point uh, they will uh, claim sovereignty. and. Um, we will see something happen that will lead to the destruction of the temple, uh, to the Dam of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque. So we're seeing a trajectory that is becoming more religious, more more, um, politically motivated and more far right in Israeli society. The civil war, which you described uh, is at the moment, one largely of rhetoric, but it is between Zionists and Zionists. It's not between Jews and Jews. We're dealing with, if you like, uh, moderate Zionists, uncomfortable with the democratically elected government, which is increasingly far-right Zionists. And the aspirations of the far-right clearly is to ethnically cleanse not only the West Bank, but also to expel uh, Israeli-Palestinians. But within Israeli society, you've got, I think, at least 40 different political parties Many of them don't have any uh, serving members in the Knesset, but you have the far left communists, you have the anti Zionists, uh, you have the ultra Orthodox who don't acknowledge the government of Israel. So you've got a number of distinct groups within Jewish society, Israeli society, that don't regard themselves as uh, either they've chosen not to be represented or do not feel represented by. Uh, the Zionist uh, uh, political parties that are presently in the Knesset. Uh, where is it leading to? Well, if we're following that trajectory, uh, then I would expect the government to uh, to overhaul the courts and ensure that the courts comply with the will of the government, as we've seen in other countries, such as Russia, or uh, as we see certain attempts to do the same here in the UK. Um, I think that we're going to see more of that. The question is whether Netanyahu can maintain his coalition, his grip on Israeli uh, society and politics. Whether we will see a, a, an, a, an active uh, conflict within Israel between uh, moderate Zionists and uh, and the far right. I don't know. I hope not. I hope that uh, the that through democracy and through pressure from the international community, we can bring Israel to its senses and recognize that its future uh, is one that depends upon how it treats the Palestinians, whether they're Israelis or uh, those living in the occupied territories, which is why I believe that the movement for one democratic state is likely to grow in momentum because it is, if you like, the one which has moved much of the world out of colonialism or totalitarianism into a, a, a range of democratic uh, uh, uh movements which uh, have a relative you know have a relative spectrum of um, uh, you know f- freedom and uh, respect for religious minorities and political uh, and ethnic minorities no one's perfect but clearly Israel has a long way to go to get to that point where where we have ourselves here in the UK
0: Well, ourselves here in the UK have got our own problems with democracy, but maybe that's one for another another chat, because we've been going for about an hour, and I think we'll need to uh, wind it up there. Uh, I was very interested in your comment about the nature of the different types of Zionism. And of course, with time, this has changed enormously, because Zionism, if you go back to its early days, was highly critical of Jewishness. It was highly critical of what the Jews had become. It said things that if you were to say them, uh, you would probably be locked up. Um, and this came from the, the Zionist leaders. And they were saying the Jews need to improve and Jews need to develop as a nation and be a nation like every other. Um, and obviously the the explanation was, well, the reason we're not a nation like every other is we, is we have no land. We need If we had a land, we would be a nation like every other. But that's not proven to be the case. Um, There there are still unique problems um, in a a unique country. And uh, like you, uh, Stephen, I hope to see peace there. Um, I hope to see the rule of law there. I hope to see people being able to have quiet, peaceful occupation of their homes, um, irrespective of their... um, Uh, their religion or their ethnicity. Um, And um, I hope very much that discussion like this, um, um, discussion between different views, discussion between people who um, have different interests, can help bring that about. Because um, what I've seen since I've been travelling there is 25 years now is that every violent act simply breeds more violent acts and the situation worsens and worsens. And I fear for it. I'm very fond of the place and I and I fear for the people there. And uh, I hope that um, things work out better than I am um, concerned they might. Um, but um, till we speak next time, and I hope they'll be here next time, Stephen, I want to thank you for your time today. I um, thank you for your analysis on, on this and and for all the work you've done in, in examining things uh, such as Christian Zionism, examining philosophies, holding things up to criticism. It's important work. It needs to be done. It needs to be debated. And until we can do this in more detail, Stephen, thank you very much.